Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. This morning's message was recorded from one of our services hosted outdoors after Praise Fest, where we again got a little glimpse of some rainy weather. Well, despite the rain, we examined our witness to the gospel as a combination of our words and our actions. And at the end of our service, we held a time of personal testimonies in our church, where our church family could gather together and share that which Jesus has been doing in their own lives. Thanks for joining with us again as we share the good news. It was a while back, I, um, I took the old plow truck to the Chevy dealership, and to my great surprise, one of the salesmen who I was working with actually drove away in a Ford. Uh, And uh, another uh, instance I saw, we were uh, down south at one of the malls and went into uh, the Apple, uh, not the Apple computer store, but across from it was the Microsoft store. Actually, I remember this was at the Mall of America over in Minneapolis. Um, We went into the Microsoft store and one of the salespeople there got out their phone and in the Microsoft store, they were using an iPhone. Thought that was, might get them in trouble. Um, and then it was just the other day, I was in the drive through line, uh, or starting the drive through line at McDonald's, and I saw one of the employees dressed in the normal getup, carrying in to the restaurant a bag from Culver's. What, what do all three of these examples uh, reveal to us? Uh, they, they each demonstrate that the importance of having our actions match our allegiances. And many times they don't. Many times our behavior, the way we act, actually betrays that which we would declare with our lips. That which we would stand for becomes unraveled, not by our words, but by our actions. Here's the warning. Your character, how you demonstrate your life and the love of Jesus, if we're not careful, it will cancel your convictions. It it will show an illegitimacy to that which you believe if if your behavior and your actions don't follow in the same congruency with what you would preach, what you would speak. You know what people say, right? They don't, nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care. And um, we need to make sure that what we say and and, and the love that we would extend to people is matched with a lifestyle that's found in complete step with our confession of Christ as our Lord. Now, you and I, we, we live in a mess. 2020 has been a mess. And I feel like our world continues to display uh, the tattered edges of a creation that has moved away from its creator In fact, in the world today, the primary message that you will find in the secular world is that you need to get whatever you want now. You need to get your hands on it as quick as you can because you might miss out. Uh, Young people are familiar with an acronym called FOMO. Has anyone heard that before? Uh, It it stands for, it's F-O-M-O. It stands for fear of, can you help me out, anybody? Yeah, Don knows it. It's fear of missing out. And so there, there is this 
urgency to try to get whatever you can because it might slip through your fingers. You're going to miss that experience. You may have a fear of losing, a fear of being last. It's like it's like people going to Walmart to get toilet paper during coronavirus is what I feel like. It's, it's get as much as you can, as quick as you can, because you might miss out. That's the message of this world. I hope you're able to recognize and identify a version of that in your own life experience and perhaps not even external to your life, but perhaps you see that temptation even within your own heart. One of the capstone commandments, number 10 that God gives is thou shalt not covet. And covet is covetousness. Man, it, it will bleed its way through all other nine of the commandments because it prays upon the temporality of this world. Here's, here's what I mean. I'm, I'm going to quote from uh, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2. John says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. Anyone who loves the world for the, will find that the love of the Father is not in them for everything in the world. And then he lists three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, And the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. It's the next verse that's really key here. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. I I heard this verse recently. I've read it, you know, dozens of times. But somehow, I always miss verse 17. 1 John 2.17, if you're taking notes or if you wanted to look up at yourself. 1 John 2.17 says, This world and its desires pass away. And so, yeah, the mess that we live in and part of the reason why we see the secular world fighting and bickering and trying to get as much as they can and part of the reason you see that temptation even in and of yourself is because John's right. This world is passing away. You know, nothing stays nice forever. Everything that you buy that's new gets scratched, rusts, falls apart, wears out. Your own health does the same thing. You know, we've spent uh, hours and dollars on trying to repair these things that are dissolving right in front of our very eyes. Every penny that you have earned, you will not take with you when you die. (laughs) And every enjoyment of health and vibrance that you had when you were young will someday be gone. Wow, that's a downer for church today, right? So this is is the perspective the secular world (laughs) has. This is the perspective, and they're right. With, hear me now, without Jesus, you, you better live for today because you lose today and it's gone forever. Without Jesus, all you have is bad news. But what's the title of this series we're in? This is good news. We, we need good news. We need a remedy for the mess of our world. And we must, as those who have the gospel, you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, we must make sure that our life shows a transformative nature, that we don't live like the world lives, 
so that what you say corresponds to how you live. You got to show that your previous life and your previous loves and lusts are all those things that you say are part of a world that's passing away and that you would rightly condemn as being fruitless in actually delivering life and satisfaction. Uh, the, the title for this particular message is Testimony. I, I, you might see that there in the bulletin or in your notes. Uh, testimony, I looked it up, has uh, three popular definitions. Uh, it's a solemn declaration. So you might think of a uh, courtroom. Uh, Bailiff says, raise your right hand, repeat after me, right? So uh, that's a kind of testimony, a solemn declaration. Uh, it's also first-hand authentication by fact of evidence. So testimony is something that is evidenced. And thirdly, testimony is an outward sign. Here's my point. This is worth writing down. Testimony isn't just something you say with your lips. Let me repeat that. Your testimony isn't just something you say with your lips. For for the Christian who lives after the lusts of this world, you're like a Toyota salesman driving a Honda. That's what you're like. For, For the Christian who fears losing their treasures on earth, on this world, do you know what you're like? You're like a cardiologist eating a triple cheeseburger. You're, that which you would stand for doesn't match up with your actions. And so your testimony in our study today, and I'm going I'm to be brief through this. I see God blessing us with a little bit of drizzle right now. Hopefully it doesn't turn into a torrential downpour. Um, hopefully we can have a time of witness here. But we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. I'm uh, Primarily verse 10 is the key verse. I'm going to read verses 8 uh, through 12 of chapter 1. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. Paul here is writing uh, one of his very, his very last letter that we have collected for the church to build our sanctification off of. He's writing to his protege. He's writing to Timothy, and these are his final words. So, um, by the way, just as we work through this, and because I'm going to be brief, specific to the idea of testimony, um, there's so much more in this text that I won't have time to deal with. Uh, So in two weeks, Bible study would be a great time to revisit some of the other themes that show up here. Anyway, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 8 through 12, Paul writes, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I am not 
ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. Now, I, Lois, I could read that three times too, right? It was that good. There's so much in here uh, to work through. Um, I, I have only got three primary observations on this subject of testimony uh, that I want to uh, encourage you. You have sermon notes to fill in. Uh, you'll see right away in verse eight, he says, do not be ashamed. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. That verb, that word testify in other translations might be um, uh, rendered witness. It's, it's the word for a witness. Marturetu in Greek is what it is. And marturetu is where we get the English word martyr. So a martyr is somebody who has stood the test whatever test that might have been of persecution to, uh, to uh, witness before the Lord, to let their life remain as a witness for God. That's what the word testify actually means. Your first blank in your sermon notes, your testimony will be conditioned by your perspective. Let me say that again. Your testimony will be conditioned by your perspective. We've been given two perspectives here from the Apostle Paul. The first one is pretty easy to find. He actually repeats it in the in the NIV translation. Uh, it, it brings it out twice. Verse 8 says, don't be ashamed to testify about, about our Lord or ashamed of me and his prisoner. Shame is a tool of the evil one. In fact, if you remember back into the garden, Sin, sin occurred, right? And what was the result that you knew sin happened because Adam and Eve both felt what? They both felt shame. They, they were ashamed. They wanted to remove themselves for fear of what had occurred. Um, I've got this little dog in my house that apparently doesn't know the bathroom is not the carpeting. Somehow he doesn't realize that. But he knows it, and I know he knows it, because when I walk in and I see the little gift that he leaves for me right there in the living room, he, he does one of these, puts his little head down, puts his little tail right behind him. He knows, he knows. What a, what a travesty that would be if we carried the gospel like that. Like, like, like a little shameful puppy when you have the opportunity to speak on behalf of what God has done in your life, that we would cower in shame? Hear me now. Your testimony, it will be flavored by your perspective. If your perspective is shame, you won't have a, a vibrant testimony. But Paul gives another option, and it comes here in verse 12. If you, if you look in, the, in your Bible, you'll see it here. He says, uh, that's why I'm suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed. Because I know whom I've believed and I'm convinced that he is able. How awesome is that, church? That's worth a horn for my cars on the road. Thank you. That's right. I'm convinced that he is able. Do you know the difference between shame and convinced is? It's, it's willing to stand in the face of whatever opposition you might have, because there is nothing that can touch the conviction of my assurance. I know God has this, whatever you're facing. I know God is able to rescue. I know 
the creator, loves me and will never leave or forsake me. That's the confidence that Paul has. And so I want to turn it to you. How confident are you? How confident are you facing the trials and tribulations of this world that God can save, that God can resurrect, and that God will ultimately glorify himself no matter your circumstance? Because if you're confident of that, you won't be ashamed. And you will have a testimony that's going to that's gonna really land in either direction of whether you pursue carrying that message of the gospel with shame or with confidence. So that's, that's the first one. Second observation we can see is that your testimony will be displayed by your lifestyle. We got to hear that three times too. Your testimony will be displayed by your lifestyle. If you look with me into verse nine, the apostle says, speaking of God, who saved us and called us to what? What's your Bible say there? You're gonna you have to shout it out, somebody. A holy life. Now, uh, in in the Greek here, it, it's rendered uh, has called us to a, a holy calling. The the implication is a calling that pursues conformity to the Spirit. A, a calling that pursues a patterned life after after God. So another way you could render that is a holy life. That's what you've been called to. There's, there's so much I want to say on that. There's so much I want to say. Uh, for now, what I want you to just retain is that coming to Jesus does not permit a lifestyle that, oh, God loves me. And I can live my life any way I want. Coming to Jesus is incongruent with the attitude of continuing to pursue those frayed and tattered desires of a broken world that will not satisfy. Do you remember 1 John? Everything in this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, all of it is going to pass away. But he who does the will of God will live forever. So there is an incongruence to the person who says, I'm a Christian, but you mind your own business because I want to live the way I want to live. God says, I want you to represent my family. You are my child and my children follow after my will. This is easy to talk about when we talk about children because at any point I see my two little ones acting in a way that would bring disparagement both upon their creator and their father. What do you think I do? Well, that's just how they are. That's just what they like to do. No, I, I, I bring them aside. The discipline that I give over my own children, I give because I love them. And I expect them to live in a manner that represents the name that they carry. Hear me now. God wants the same from you. He wants your life to be characterized after the name that he has offered you. The name above all names. And to be called a Christian, a little Christ is what Christian means. Not that you are Christ, but you should pattern your life after him. Paul says that here in a very two words. He's called you to a holy life. Say amen if you got that. All right. No, thank you. Number three. Lastly, here we go. Your testimony will include a purpose for this life. Your testimony will include a purpose for the life that you currently have. 
Uh, Your air that's in your lungs right now is not yours. Every one of us is living right now on borrowed time because God is upholding your life presently for a purpose. So I'm not making this up. Look back in the text. Verse 9, towards the end, it says, "Not uh, Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The good news of the gospel, it needs to be evident in your life. Your testimony is not just what you say. It's how you live. So if you can track with me just very briefly, almost feels like the sun is trying to peek out here. Come on, son. The gospel is made of two parts. And I mentioned this last Sunday. I want to remind you of it again. The gospel is foremost made of a formula. So part number one is formulaic. In fact, we have it here in our text. Look with me in verse 10. But now it has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Watch what he did now. Watch what Jesus did. He has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light. Did you see the the formula? How did Jesus destroy death? By dying on the cross in your place. Therefore, death has no claim over you. Spiritual death because of Jesus has no claim over you. Jesus says to Martha, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. (laughs) That's awesome. You will live. Death has no claim over you because it's been destroyed by Jesus on the cross. That's the first part of of the formula. The second part is, did Jesus stay dead in the grave? He rose from the dead. And so not only has has he destroyed death, look what it says. He has brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel. Man, doesn't that sound like what we've been studying every Sunday? Doesn't that sound like 1 Corinthians 15? For that which I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures, and was buried. First part. And that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared to people. Jeez, that sounds, that sounds like exactly what we've been studying. Or maybe last Sunday. Remember Luke 24? That Jesus says that the message of the gospel will be preached, which is that the Christ must suffer and then rise on the third day. Come on, you guys. I'm preaching this as loud as I can. Hopefully you're seeing the formula of the gospel includes two parts. Jesus died for your sins and he rose. Paul says he destroyed death and he brought life. That's the first part of the gospel. You... You, you screwed it up if you didn't include that in the gospel. That, that is essential, non-negotiable. Every Christian who has lived from the time of Pentecost on from the resurrection has held this truth. All right, let me give you the second half now. Because the second half, your testimony, is an integration of the formula into your life. If the gospel because we just heard it, it's like it or not, this is true. If the gospel has not impacted your life, you do not have a testimony. You, you really have nothing to share if the gospel has not caused transformation for what I was to what I'm being changed into. This is what the apostle says here. If you look with me a little bit further, he says in verse 11, go, go with me again to the text. He says, and of this gospel... I was appointed three things. Watch this. A herald, an apostle, and a teacher. Now, let me ask you the question. What was Paul before Christ? Do you know what he was? 
He wasn't a herald. He wasn't an apostle. And he wasn't a teacher. He was a Pharisee. And then he met the risen Jesus. And in meeting Jesus, his life received a new purpose. And so this is my third observation for you. Your testimony will include a purpose for this life. Now I'm wrapping it up now because, well, just because. There's more in this text that I don't have time to expound upon. Um, Grace. Did you guys see grace in here? You, You can't share the gospel without talking about grace. It's the essential component of understanding. You can't do anything to earn it. It's given freely. That's in here. Uh, suffering. I didn't, I didn't get to talk too much about suffering. That's a whole, that's a whole sermon series in and of itself. I got to skip over that for now. Um, some theology here, how Jesus uh, and, and God's grace given to you before time, before the beginning of time. Uh, that's a whole theological teaching that I love. I don't have time to talk about any of those things. I just want to leave you with this point of application and then offer a few minutes for you to come up here and speak. This is the application. Two things. Number one, give your life to God and live by the Spirit. This is exactly the message that Paul wants Timothy to declare. Give your life to God and then live by the Spirit. When Paul's perspective for his testimony is changed with confidence, look with me in verse 12. This is, this is huge, you guys. If you were sleeping up to this point, wake up for this one part. This is huge. Paul says, Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. What was it that Paul entrusted to God? Because God entrusted the gospel message to Paul. God gave Paul something to keep safe, and then Paul gives something to God to keep safe. Do you know what it was? It was his life. Paul's confidence comes from knowing the fate of my existence is up to me. I've given that burden, that weight, whatever that is, for how many days I have on this earth. I've given that to God. And you know what? He can take good care of it. I'm totally cool with whatever God decides for this life. Paul says it in Philippians in this way. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. So number one, give your life to God that he would entrust your future. Uh, I put in your sermon notes at the very top a quote by missionary Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott and um, his wife Elizabeth, who has written many books, um, they were missionaries to a tribal people who on their first encounter uh, killed and murdered Jim. There's a movie made of this called The End of the Spear. I highly recommend you watch this movie. Uh, Here's Jim's quote. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Look, I've I've already preached it good and loud enough already. Everything that you hold dear in this life that's material, part of this world, you will lose. Your very life, as much as you try to save it, Jesus says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. So here's the gospel challenge of application. Give it to God. Give it to him. Let God control and define 
the aspect and nature of your life. And if you do that, if you declare to be, uh, to, to, to receive the gospel and make yourself by his power, one of his children, if that's a gift that you're willing to receive, then the second half is that you learn to live by the spirit so that you represent your heavenly father the way a child should. Uh, there's three ways that we're seeing this and they actually show up in verse seven. And I'm going to end, I'm going to end with this one. So one last time, look with me back into your text. We started in verse eight. I just need to read you verse seven from where it started at the beginning. Paul says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. And uh, you, some Bibles say fear. You should write the word fear. I think fear is a better translation there. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. The spirit of power is that which will enable you to be a witness and have a testimony in the face of of what would cause other people to be ashamed. You can't do it alone. You need God's power in you. A holy life that you're to live, because remember, your testimony will be characterized, displayed by how you live. It needs to be characterized by love, by a spirit of love that he gives you. That's the second thing. And lastly, the purpose that you have, because your testimony has a purpose here. What's your purpose? Why am I here? Well, you will see that to be achieved as you pursue self-discipline, not to live like the world after the loves of this world, but to live after the world to come, keeping your eyes fixed where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. I conclude with this verse from the book of Hebrews. Speaking of Moses in chapter 11, the writer says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Let's pray this morning.